Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I am the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I'm on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is David Stoltz. David Stoltz is a certified public accountant and a personal financial specialist, and he's also a certified divorce financial analyst. David has more than 20 years of experience working in the areas of tax and divorce financial planner, and he's the author of a newly published book, Women, Divorce, and Money, Taking Control of Your Finances and Your Future. Welcome, David Stoltz. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I've been, I've been looking forward to this. Thanks. Great. And I know that one of your, you know, perhaps unique perspectives is that you can, that people can look at divorce as a financial opportunity rather than perhaps financial Armageddon. So tell us a little bit what you mean by that and how people can change their thinking about it. Yeah, and, and that's almost like a two-part question because I can tell you what I think about it and then how to change that. That's another level of challenge, you know, with I mean, with, with all of us, right? It's like I start thinking something that, you know, isn't going to do me any good, and then it's like, okay, how do I unspin this and start to think different? But it, the idea came writing this book, you know, CPA background, tax background, all that stuff that really bores people to death. And so I was trying to tell stories, and, and along with the book, I ran a survey for women who have been divorced. So keeping this as short as possible at the end of the survey, I asked questions like, you know, what have you, what do you know now about yourself and what have you learned going through the process? And overwhelmingly it was positive. I mean, it was just over and over and over. I learned I'm a strong person. I learned I'm capable of things I never knew. I learned how to do things that never, you know, I, I never thought about doing. And so I took this thing about, this is overwhelmingly how at least the people that took my survey came out at the end. And so then I tried to instill that at the beginning. I mean, you, you need to do the right steps. It's not just an automatic thing where at the end you're going to be, you know, <laughs> feel good about yourself. You need to kind of do those steps. And so it was part of this idea of like, okay, well, here's a tax thing we, you might want to think about, but also think about how you're thinking about yourself and think about the way your friends are telling you what you should do and think about so you're, you're trying to balance this thing about your head. And, and I, I think in, in terms of changing how you feel, I think you really, you start by changing thoughts. And there's a lot of people that are experts on this, and I don't claim to be one of them. But if you start to think different, then your feelings sort of eventually catch up. So the idea of think about it like, okay, I'm going to do my best to look at it like an opportunity. It's a difficult thing. It's a terrible thing. There's impact of family and kids and all these things. But at the same time, I, I, I want to look at this as a chance to learn about myself, kind of come out the other end in, in sort of a better situation. So I'm going to do my best to say, all right, it's a bad deal. I made the decision to get here or somebody forced it on me or whatever, but I'm going to do my best to look at it as an opportunity. So it's part of just trying to convey that, you know, a bit of a mindset and, and it's way easier to talk about than it is to do, of course. If somebody is listening to this and thinking, 
all right, I'm at the beginning of this journey or I'm in the middle of this journey and I would love to see this as an opportunity instead of a crisis. I think what you're saying is if you were to think to yourself, if this were an opportunity, what good would come from this about me? What good would come from this about the situation? What good would come from this about my children? And that some of those things might be that I would learn to uh, just staying in the money area, that I would learn to manage my budget on a, month, on a monthly basis. I would learn to feel like I was in control of my finances. Those kinds of things, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I just think I can relate it to a couple of times in my life when, you know, this is probably not the best analogy, but when I took the CPA exam, which I'm not going to tell you how many decades ago that was, every other year or so they would test this one section and the section was huge and it was worth a lot of points and I didn't understand it. And so, I, you know, I go in thinking, oh man, I just hope they don't test on this, you know. But conversely, I finally just figured out, okay, odds are I'm going to get tested on this. I need to figure this out. And so I just dove in and figured it out. Then my attitude completely changed. Then it was like, I hope that's on the exam. I'm hoping they give me one of those. And so if you look at managing money, the majority of women in the survey that I ran said they did half or more of the, of the financial tasks in a marriage, you know, paying the bills and saving money and, you know, doing those things. And so the majority of people that at least took the survey had a foundation of managing finances. So now you just have to, you know, take one or two more steps and say, okay, I know how to manage it. I know how to pay bills. I know how to, you know, reconcile an account to the extent anybody reconciles bank accounts anymore. But I, you know, I know how to get the statement and get the balance. So I'm just going to take it to another step and I'm going to use that to say, okay, now I'm going to start planning for my finances. Instead of just paying the bills and doing that, it's like, you know what? I'm going to say, here's what's going to happen with my money. Here's what's going to happen with my credit card spending. Here's what's going to happen with that. So, you know, it's all kinds of things mixed together, you know, looking at it as an opportunity to plan finances, but also looking at it as a chance to do something different and sort of take control of something that maybe, maybe you were involved in before, but you didn't sort of take control of it in, in the broad sense. So I, I think it's all of those things together. Can you give an example? Well, I mean, the, the examples, there's just been a lot of people that when you look forward at managing, okay, so, you, you know, in the past, you let's say you split the responsibilities in marriage. And I think a lot of times the financial things sort of just get split up in terms of who does what piece, sort of without even really talking about it. It's just that yeah, you've always paid this right. bill and they've always paid that bill. And, yeah, and so it's not a structured thing. So the times I sit down with people and say, you know what, I mean, nobody wants to use the budget word, so let's call it a spending plan. So it's time to kind of do a spending plan because in the past you, you were sharing income with somebody else. Now you're going to have it on your own. It's likely going to be less. So let's just do a little spending plan. And then when you walk people through that, I mean, and they're the ones doing most of the work. But when you walk through that and they get to the end and they just kind of go, you know, that wasn't that hard. And, you know, and it's like, well, doing the plan isn't always the hard part. It's sort of like living within that plan that makes it a little harder. But but you, you just see this over and over. It's like, you know, I was afraid of doing this, but it really wasn't that difficult. Once I started and dug in and got some, you know, suggestions as to how to do things, it really wasn't that bad. So I think there's a lot of that, at least in the financial area, there's, there's a lot of that. Yeah. And I love the point that you're making, David, about the word budget. Because I agree that the word budget sounds like the word diet, right? It means like less. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. It sounds like yeah. pain, right? It sounds like, oh, I'm going to be unhappy and hungry. And so I think that a spending plan or a 
financial analysis or basically anything else that just thinks this is just how we're going to allocate resources each month, each year, in a way that we're going to get what we need, it makes a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of the opportunity thing too, right? Like a spending plan, it's like I'm going to decide where I want to spend my money. And so it's, it's a very forward-looking thing as opposed to, like you just said, budgets have a, just a terrible connotation. We don't, we don't like to use those words, even though they're kind of the same thing. But, but you know, it, it, words matter, right? Absolutely. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with David Stoltz about money and divorce, and particularly women and divorce and money. And, and David, so what is your experience from a financial perspective of a typical contested divorce, and how should people be thinking about that? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're much more of an expert on some of this stuff than I am. Certainly, you've seen a lot of this. So typical, so I think contested divorce. So by, by definition, you have something you're not agreeing to, even though you might agree to a bunch of things, there's still some issue that's not agreed to it's contested. So I think some of the things you can learn on that is first of all, understand what, what the whole picture looks like. And so on a financial thing, that's, that's of course, some kind of a financial affidavit, what an accountant would call a balance sheet. So what do we own and what do we owe? You know, just a nice little list and then start to kind of think through those things. So you, you sort of, not that you didn't understand them before, but you're sort of thinking about them in a different way. So then when you get to a contested component, let's just say it's the home, it's a sort of a common arm wrestling thing at times. So then when you get to that, you, you understand how that fits into the whole thing. So I might want to keep a house or I might want to, you know, I, I might want to pack up and be gone as soon as I can and find something that I picked myself and whatever. But as you work through the sort of the negotiation of the contested piece, you, you see how your, that puzzle piece fits into the whole picture f financially speaking. So if I take that asset, that means I can't do these other things. Or if I, if I give up that asset, that means I, I can do something over here different. So I think the, the financial component, the thing you want to do there is you just want to understand the whole picture. And, and if you can make a list and you understand it, great. If you need help with somebody saying, I don't understand how this rental property works. What does it mean, you know, you know, whatever, an NOI or some, some term that somebody uses. How do I understand how to keep this or how do I understand how to get rid of this? So I, I think understanding the whole picture is how you sort of go into the, the negotiating part of something that's contested. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense to be thinking about it from a life perspective rather than from the negotiation perspective. And negotiate from that place, not from just a place of, you know, I should get more, he should get less, or, or whatever that is. So, David, so what was it that led you to write this book, Women, Divorce, and Money, Taking Control of Your Finances and Your Future? There's a good question. So, if this was a, a video, you might have a little bit more of, a, of an idea. <laughs> but I've been doing this for a while, and, you know, I kind of get this thing, well, you know, how much longer are you going to work, or when are you going to retire, and all this stuff. And I found it mildly annoying that, I mean, you know, people are being polite. I don't mean they weren't, but I just kind of thought, you know, I, I still feel like I have something to say. And it was sort of my wife that's like, well, then figure out how to say it. And so that led to just this, 
you know, casual notion of, well, what if I, you know, wrote down some things and so on. So that kind of just developed into this book, which is a crazy story because I, I'm the last person you'd ever think would, would do something like this. But I just, in terms of focusing the book on women too, there was a study that says women are, you know, over 60% of women will seek out financial advice. And as we know, men are not as good at taking direction or, you know, wanting advice, whatever the reason is, they, they, I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah. They think they know more than they maybe do. So there's only 4% of women that, excuse me, 4% of men that seek out financial advice and divorce. So basically I can count on two fingers the number of times I've been referred a man. So all of this came down to, it's like all my experience is being referred women who are going through a divorce. So that's really the, the knowledge base that I have and sort of I put together. And the reason to do the survey was I was afraid a guy writing a book directed to women, how do I have any credibility there? So I used the survey as like, well, this isn't Dave saying, this is, hey, you know, 75% of women said they, they physically feel sick during their divorce or something. So that's something that I could relate to that way. So the book just kind of came out of, I think I have something to say, and I want to say it before I actually decide to not work anymore. Is there a sort of bottom line that the book is coming from or, or a conclusion that you came to while you were writing the book that seems like, well, you know what, this is my underlying message for, for women and divorce or about their money? Yeah, that's a really good question. To the best of my abilities, the book goes back and forth between what would sort of be a technical subject with more of a personal subject, because I just think you can't look at this as trying to solve a math problem. You know, a, a woman coming through a divorce, you know, 20 years ago or more, I would have looked at it like it's a math problem. Okay, here's the financial stuff. It's going to get split like this. So here's what you have to deal with. Here's your tax issues. Okay, anything else? And over time, you realize that is so far off. All of these stressors that weigh on people, you know, time constraint and information overload, complexity, and, and of course, uncertainty. There's all kinds of uncertainty. All of those stressors impact the the ability of anyone, man or woman, anyone to make clear decisions. So I'm trying to communicate, here's some information to make decisions with, but also, you know, recognize where you're at and recognize it's going to take some time to go through these. Don't worry about that. It's fine if you ask the same question three times. It's not a problem. So I think I'm trying to say, you can do this. I, I don't mean that to sound, you know, bad in any way, but I'm trying to encourage somebody to say, I know you can do this because I've seen so many people do it, but you do want to think through these other areas that are sort of maybe technical in nature. So it's, it's kind of a back and forth thing. How well I did trying to accomplish that, I'll leave that up to uh, other people to tell me. But I just think the people that I've worked with and I get to work with, they are just amazing people. And I'm, so I'm just trying to communicate there is an opportunity here through a terrible situation to come out the other end different than you think. Cause when you're in the middle of it, it feels horrible and you can't even imagine it's going to come out, you know, anything you would consider good. But at the end of it, it, it does look different. Well, you know, Einstein said something, I'm, I'm butchering this quote, but something like you can never solve a problem at the level at which it presents. And so if you're looking at that as about divorce and money, and I actually think this is really true that when people present a money problem, it's not really about the money. So in your experience, mm -hmm. well, first of all, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Money weaves its way into our self-esteem and our, you know, everything about it. Money just has this thing. And so I completely agree with you. Yeah. 
I, I thought you would, but I just wanted to give you the chance. And, you know, so then <laughs> in, in, in knowing your experience, and of course, you know, different people are different, different situations are different, and I completely understand that. But if money problem is presented in divorce, what's often going on if it's not about the money? Well, I'll just give you some thoughts on that, I guess. So doing the book, I talked with a lot of attorney friends and so on. And and one of the things I asked was, tell me the difference between an initial meeting with a woman and an initial meeting with the man. And I'm generalizing here, so this isn't a definitive yeah, thing. But generally speaking, they described the, the first meeting with the wife as, am I going to be okay? Are the kids going to be okay? You know, it, it's, it's that kind of thinking. And I'm, I'm not disparaging the men in divorce, but they would tell me it's more like, you know, how much is this going to cost and how long is this going to take and so on. I'm not, I'm making that sound stronger than it is, but that's the way it was communicated to me. So if there's a, a level of disagreement, a contention of some issue, it can be a number of different things. And there's still these power plays that play out where you want it. So that means I want it. You know, you, know, you, you, don't, you, you can't have it. I don't see that as much on the side that I work with. I see it more on the other side of the mediation where somebody has a win, you know, win at all costs kind of thing, which is just a sad thing to watch play out. And it's not always that way. Of course, a lot, many people just try to figure out common ground and try to find something that works for both sides. And so, which is great, but I think money forms a security. And so giving up money feels like a loss of some kind of security. So, as you try to, you know, get these contested areas worked out, you're trying to find security in that because, you know, we all want a floor to stand on and a roof over our head and medical insurance and, you know, all enough to do those things. So I, I think there's a security piece that plays in. And then sometimes there's an ego piece that kicks in there too. I'm Catherine Miller and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WBOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 530 bringing you the information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And I'm talking today with David Saltz about women, divorce, and money. And David, if people are interested in learning more about your book or you, how can they do that? Yeah, I have a website, just my name, David-Stoltz, S-T-O-L-Z. And so you can go there and it has the information on the book. Women, Divorce, and Money book is on, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the usual outlets and so on. And and I'm on social. The, the book is a longer story than I can share here today. But the book on the cover has a doodle of a woman that I actually drew myself when I got lost for words trying to write the book. So that makes the book a little bit easier to find when you're flipping through some of those books. <laughs> the doodle. <laughs> the doodle, yeah. It's like, you know, when you write a book, you know, you have to get a cover, right? And so you can hire these people to help you do covers. You can just say, here's the book subject and so on. And these artists, submitted the most horrible covers you can imagine. I mean, one of them was this woman, just her, you know, her head and her hands just completely distraught and whatever. It's like, okay, well, that's not really the clients I work with. The message you're looking for. I know, exactly. And another one was a woman like holding all these dollar bills and like dancing around. I go, that's not it. So I finally just gave up and said, you know what? I'm putting my doodle on the cover. So David, when people are stressed, which they obviously are going through divorce is one of the top five stressors that we can go through. How do you think that that impacts their decision-making? And, and, you know, before you answer that, I was just, I did another interview earlier today where we were talking about this desire just to get it over with and how the desire to get it over with can really 
have you make some bad decisions. Is that your experience? And what do you think people should do to help themselves manage that? Yeah. One of the questions I asked in the survey was, so the survey was for women. I think it leaned toward a longer term marriage, although the criteria wasn't that way, but it leaned toward, you know, 10, 15 or more plus. And the question I asked was, looking back, do you wish you would have been stronger in the negotiating? And overwhelmingly, the answer is yes. Overwhelming. And so exactly to your point, you get to this point where it's like, I just want this done. Fine. Fine. You can take it. Whatever. You know, and, and you get to this. And then the dust settles and things get divided and you move forward with your life. And then you look back and you go, man, I should not have done that. So I think one of the things, like when I talk to people when they come in is, I will mention that question. They still will make it whatever decision they feel is appropriate for them. They should listen to their attorney, take all the advice you get, decide if it's a fair you know, issue that you're dealing with. But remind yourself that most of the people in my survey look back, most of the women in my survey look back and said they wish they would have been tougher. So just keep that in mind. I, you know, Agree to whatever you decide to agree to, but keep in mind that other people have thought that was the point to not just say, find whatever I'm done, I'll sign it or, you know, whatever. So I, I think it's kind of just a reminder to think that way and it's going to get done, right? This month, next month, the month after, it's going to get done. So the pressure to, I got to get this done, it's like, well, it's going to get done. You don't have to feel that kind of pressure. I know, you know, late night mediations and all that can certainly feel that way, but just remind yourself, you have to live with this for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Are you comfortable with that? So they mostly wish they had been tougher. That's what you're saying, right? And and that's kind of an interesting. What do you think they meant by that? Ask for more? My interpretation was they feel like they caved in a bit. And so it wasn't that they backed off of being aggressive or they backed off of playing offense. It's that, that they gave up too much ground playing defense, you know, saying, no, that's not fair that you're, you know, not going to do this or not going to, you know, wh- whatever the issue is. So I interpreted it as they in the negotiating, you know, which takes on different degrees of intensity, but in the negotiating part, they just finally just said, fine, I just want to be done. Because I've, and you've probably seen it way more than I have, but I've talked to lots of people who said, my attorney said, I can do better than what I am, but I just agreed to it anyway because I just wanted to get it done. So I, I think it's more like you just gave ground to minimize the one last fight. Yeah, and I also think that sometimes people, and I think women in particular, are prone to thinking, well, if I don't argue too much, we'll get along better and that'll be better for the kids. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, when it's over, it's over. And it's unlikely that having given up on that extra few thousand dollars or on something else that you really wanted is going to make any difference at all in the future relationship that you have with your now ex-spouse. And, and so I think that it really does make sense to really think through the negotiation. And I'm curious about what you think about this. I'm sure you know that in this country, 95% of divorces settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial. 95%. And that, therefore, when you think about your divorce, it's a negotiation, not litigation, most likely. And that you really, you and your attorney, need to think through what the strategy is for that negotiation from the first day. And I think that that makes a really big difference in the outcome. What do you think about that, David? Yeah, I do. And it's interesting how often I do not see that. 
I see the negotiation come up with, you know, they'll go into, you know, whatever it is, remediation or something, and they'll have a, an idea of what they want to do, but there's not a strategy behind it. And so it's just like, it's either this is what I want to, you know, I want the result to look like. And then when, when it gets pushed back on, they, they end up changing that. So, or, or, or agreeing to something without really thinking it all through. Yeah, I think that's right. So in the last few seconds, what are what are pieces of advice that you have for somebody thinking about divorce as they listen to us today? Well, I'd say get a team of experts. Obviously, your attorney, not everybody needs a financial person, but if you do, get one. But also pick your friends to be the few friends you want to listen to, the ones that listen, care about you, are, are not going to say you should do this and just decide that that's going to be the friends that I listen to. And the rest of them just say, hey, thanks. Thanks for that suggestion. I'll uh, I'll think about that. Yeah, I always say take it for the love that they're offering, but not necessarily for the truth of their words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well said. All right. Thanks so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogue. Thanks, Kev. I appreciate it. This is a great time. Thank you.